You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. What we do here at Anthem is we usually walk through the Bible, and we usually take a book at a time, and, and, but this morning... What we're going to do is we're going to take a break from that, okay? And we're going to look at we're going to look at missions as you could tell from from the video. All right? And but before we do that, this just popped into my head that I remembered there's lots of times I forget announcements I'm supposed to make. I am the college ministry guy here. We've got a couple other people on staff and Salt Company. The thing I want you to know about Salt Company before we get into this is that we are at a different location. Each week we kind of joke that it's like always we play the game, where is Salt Company this week? Try and find Salt Company. And this week, we're, we're in the student center. We're back in the student center, but we're in a, we're in a different room. So disregard the, the thing on your announcement sheet. Okay, we're not in the Memorial Union. We're in the student center. We're going to try and have a bunch of signs. So I would encourage you, if you're a college student or college age, come join us this Thursday night, uh, 8 o'clock. We'll have lots, lots of signs, lots of people directing you. Okay, All right, I, I did that. I feel good about myself now. We can move on. All right. Again, this morning, we get to talk about missions. And, and the reason we're going to take a break from Ephesians, walking through that book, we, we love the Bible, and we take books of the Bible at, at a time, and we walk through those systematically, and we, we try and figure out what God has for us in those. But, but the reason we're taking a break this morning is because we have some stuff coming up in the life of our church. We're a brand new church. We, we are, right now, we are creating DNA, we are creating the culture of what Anthem Church is going to be about. And so we have some things coming up in the life of our church that we want to make sure that you guys know what's happening. But more than that, we want you to know why what's happening is happening. Okay, so we have a few things coming up that we're going to be talking about in just a little bit that, that have to do with missions. And when I talk about missions, I talk about, see, the, the reality is that we want to reach out to the people in, in our town, in our neighborhoods, right, in, in our state but when we talk about missions, we believe the Bible, the story of the love of God, has global implications. And we, as a young church, we want that to be part of our DNA from the very beginning. We want to be a part of this global mission that God has for us. And we want to, we want to take a step in that direction. And what I'm, what I'm going to be talking about this morning is why we want to do that. Because when you understand the why, the what becomes more clear, right? See, lots of times we look at the Bible and we look at it, we look at it as like, a, like a, a rule book or we look at it as a self-help guide like chicken soup for my soul, right? You, you start the morning off with your Bible and a cup of coffee and you're good to go. And lots of times that's it's not necessarily bad, but it's kind of like a yearbook, right? We look at the Bible like a yearbook. Do you, have, you remember getting a yearbook in high school? Some of you, that's a, that's, you have to remember way back, right? You remember getting a yearbook in high school? What did you do with your yearbook as soon as you got it? What'd you do? Yeah, look for your picture, right? As I'm sure the other people got it right. I just couldn't hear you because people think whispering, like since I'm standing up here, I can hear you whisper. Yeah, I can't. But like Todd was saying, look, yeah, you look for your, you look for your own picture, right? You, you flip through and you look for your picture. I, I don't know if my picture got up on here. Um, I should have looked through these. Anyway, you, you look for your picture. And then when you find your picture, what do you do after? You kind of say, okay, this is how I look compared to the people around me, right? And then, and then you look through the rest of the book and you try and figure out where else are you in that, right? 
I remember my yearbook in high school, I had, the, there was an index in the back, and you could look up your name, and you could look up, oh, Luke Hedinger, right? And, and there you'd find your name, and you'd find the, the different pages on which you were pictured. Is it up there now? Yeah, that's, that's me, that's my senior page. I was not a seventh grader, I was a senior in high school. And you look at your picture, and then you look through the different places, and you're like, okay, where am I in this? And, and really, the yearbook becomes about you. And it's a story about your year, and it's a story all about you because you look for just you in the, in the book. And, and that's what we do when we look at the Bible as like a rule book or a self-help guide. It becomes about us. And the story becomes very me-focused and me-centralized. Me and so that, that directs our steps and it directs our path. And what I want to show you this morning is the why behind missions starts with a correct understanding of the story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible is all about God. He is the main character. And he, throughout Scripture, is drawing people to himself. He is drawing people from all over the world, from every tongue, tribe, language, culture, ethnic group. He is, he is drawing people to himself. The Bible is 66 books, two testaments, old and new. We have prophetic uh, writing. We have, we have historical literature. We have letters. We have poetry. But it's all one story. And it's the story of God, not the story about Luke Hedinger. It's the story of God drawing people to himself. And that's the context that we should read all stories through. God is drawing people to himself. And when we understand that, it directs our paths. When we understand the why of missions, we understand or correctly walk in the what of missions. It should direct the what of missions. And that's what I want to show you this morning. So uh, it, like any good story, where do you start? In the beginning, right? Yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see Genesis from, from Genesis 1. We see God's, God's reason, what, what he wants to do with, with the world. And he creates this beautiful garden and he places men and women in it. And, and one of the best verses in scripture is they were naked and had no shame. I mean, could you imagine? Like, and, and then, and then in, in Genesis chapter 1, Starting in verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. Do we have these up there? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We'll stop there. Now, I promise you, as Nick said earlier, we're, we're looking at the Bible, okay, the, the, the story arc of the Bible, and I'm going to try not to keep us in here till 2 o'clock this afternoon, but uh, we're a small group, group here, so you guys don't have any place else to be, right? Good. All right. Awesome. So we, when we look in the beginning and when we look at what God had intended for his people, we see this from the very introduction. Did you catch the, the, the first command given to men and women before sin entered their, you know, I mean, just in relationship with God, the command is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, right? Fill the earth with what is the question. Fill the earth. Did you catch that? He says that it says that in his image, he created them male and female. He created them. Guys, what he created was image bearers. What he, what he commands for Adam and Eve to fill the earth with was his image, People who worshipped him, little Adams and Eves, little reflections of the glory of God and the image of God. And right off the bat, we see a physical command with spiritual implications. And yet we know that the story takes a hard left turn right away. Genesis 3, we 
Eve is tricked by the serpent and she takes the fruit and she eats it and it says she gives it to her husband who was there with her, who was there with her. Guys, I think sometimes we think Adam was off like wrestling a bear or something and he comes back and Eve's like, oh, hey, I made you a pie. It's like, oh, a pie, okay. You know, like she tricks him or something. She doesn't. He just stands there while the serpent tricks his wife, tricks Eve, and then he's like, yeah, I'll take some of that too. And, you know, he eats it and sin enters the world. And these image bearers now are marred because of a broken relationship. They, they desire their own way instead of God's way for them. They desire their own plan instead of God's plan for them. And so, so it's broken. And yet, as, as we see the story progress, Genesis 3 goes to 7, 8, and we see the flood, and we see mankind go from bad to worse, and we see, it says that every inclination of man's heart was evil all the time, and so God sends a flood, but he saves one family, right? And he puts them in the ark, and, and, and they, they float 40 days and 40 nights, and then, and then the, the, the water dries up, and when they get out in Genesis chapter 9, we see that Noah and his family, they set up an altar, and they begin to worship God for his goodness, and, and in that, God's response to their worship in Genesis 1, 27, oh, excuse me, Genesis 9, 1, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Verse 7, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. We see the plan of God progressing, right? We see God's plan is not derailed by, by man's sin, And so the heart of God to fill the earth with his worshipers and his image bearers continue until two chapters later. So he tells Noah, he says, go, multiply, fill the earth. Two chapters later, we see the Tower of Babel, the account of the Tower of Babel. And we see these people as they migrate east. They come to this place called Shinar and they look around and they're like, man, this is a good place to settle down. Let's, let's build a tower. Let's build a city. Let's t- build a tower with a top in the heavens. Let's make a name for ourselves. And it says at, at the end of that in verse four, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They're saying, hey, we don't want to be dispersed. We know that that's the plan of God for our lives. But that sounds really hard, right? That, that doesn't, like, I want to be comfortable. I want to make a name for myself. I want to make a city for myself. I want to be the ruler of my own destiny. And yet what God does after that is he comes down. It says that he comes down, and, and God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they're having this discussion, and they're saying, look, if we leave them up to this, they have one language, they're all unified. If we leave them up to this, there's no telling what they can do. They, they can do anything that their mind is set on. But the problem with that, then, is that the fact that God made them for a purpose. God made them to be worshipers of him. God made them to walk in his story that he's writing. He's saying, if they continue in this path, they're going to make their own story, but their own story will never be as good as the story that I am writing for them. And I want the best for my people. And the best for my people is me, for them to know me and to worship me. And so this story that I used to think was kind of a jerk move by God, right? He came down and he confused their languages. like, wow, (laughs) man, that's not nice. And yet it is an incredibly loving move by God because he says, you know, in fact, I want them to live out the potential that I have put within them. And so it says that their languages were, were confused and they went from that place and they left the city 
And now we see in the introduction of the story, God's plan, it's like, how is this going to work now? We have, we have people whose images, that, that they're supposed to be image bearers of God, reflectors of God. Now we see that marred, and now we see everybody spread out, and now they can't communicate. How is God going to do this? How is he going to fulfill this? And we see, we go from the introduction to the body of the story. And the body of the story really launches in Genesis chapter 12. Where in Genesis chapter 12, it says that, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you see what God's doing there? See, everybody's dispersed, and he's saying, oh, my purpose for these people is for them to worship me and to fill the earth with my glory. And now it's marred, now it's broken, so he raises one man up, one family. He says, I'm going to make a name for you. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you. Why? Because Abraham was such an awesome guy? Why? Because, I I don't know, I can't think of anything else. But, you know, it's like, why was he going to bless Abraham? It's because he wanted to bless Abram so Abram could bless the nations. So that when people look at Abram, they would see what it looks like for a family to be in relationship with God. And so those other people would come into that relationship as well. It's, it's a, he, God creates a missionary family. He says, I'm sending you out so that you can show my glory, my goodness to all people groups, to all ethnic groups to everyone. We go from there to the rest of the body and we see it throughout the Old Testament. We look in in Exodus where where we look at the, the story of Exodus and we see God bringing his Israelite people out of bondage, out of captivity, and we think about it as all for the, the Israelites, and then we make connections with ourselves, right, because we want to see where am I at in this story because it's all about me, right? And so we look at this and we say, oh, God, you know, he brings us out of our bondage, which is true, but we forget the underlying context of the whole story. And over and over again, at least three times throughout this story, when God is raising up Moses to go out and deliver his people, he says this, and the, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. See, he's saying, yes, I'm delivering my people. I want to, to be with my people. I want to bless my people. But it's so that the Egyptians will know. And then in Exodus twelve thirty eight, when the Israelites are leaving Egypt, it says, a mixed multitude also went up with them. After all the plagues, after God revealed himself, after God showed himself as all-powerful, we see that people other than Israelites, like the Israelites got released, but then other people went with them as well. God's plan continues to move forward. You go from there, and all throughout the Psalms, we see, we see this more played out. Uh, and yet, like we look at places like Psalm 46.10. Anybody know Psalm 46.10? If you've been in church long enough, you probably have something with this printed on it, right? It says, be still and know that I am God. And we take that verse and we say, oh, mm. (sighs) yes, be still. I've had a stressful week. Be still. I just need to be still and know that he is God. But did you know that there's a dot, dot, dot after that? (laughs) Did you know that that's not the end of that verse? 
It's Psalm 46.10 says this, be still and know that I am God, which we need to rest in that. And there are times where we need to just be still and know that he is God. But he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. That's the same verse. And yet what we do, what we do, because it's, we think it's about us, we take that verse and we, we take the part that, you know, it, it's about me. And we cut the end off and we say, okay, I'm just going to rest in that. But we, we forget the underlying context of even verses like that. It says, be still and know that I am God and my purposes will be met out. I am creating a story and it's going to go forward. We see this when, when Solomon, he builds the temple in 1 Kings. And, and as he's praying over the temple and he's dedicating, he says, even the foreigners who come, because they're going to hear about you, God. They're going to hear about the Israelites worshiping. They're going to hear about the things that you've done. And when the foreigners come and when they pray to this place, and he says, when the foreigners who, who are not of our family, who are not of the Israelites, when they come, hear their prayers, answer their prayers. We, we go from there to stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where, where we all know that story, right? They wouldn't bow down to the idols. So the king Nebuchadnezzar threw them in the fiery furnace. And what happened? They didn't burn up. They didn't even smell like smoke, right? He brings them out, and Nebuchadnezzar, he, he says this, and I'm not going to go through the whole passage, but in verse 29, he says, therefore, I make a decree. He says, this happened, this was crazy. This Gentile king, he's like, all this happened. He says, therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. I, I love it, because it's like, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to calm down a little bit, right? We get it that you're excited. We get it that you're like, this is crazy, right? There's no other God that saves this way. You need to come, you know, the torn limb from limb. That's a little crazy, a little much, but he gets it. This Gentile king, God uses these Israelites, his people. He uses them to show his glory to this Gentile king. And then this Gentile king, who is not an Israelite, proclaims the glory of God to all nations, tribe, tongue, everybody under his rule. We see David or Daniel in the lion's den, right? Daniel, kind of same situation, different king. King Darius, Daniel refuses to, to pray to him. He's praying to God, and so he gets thrown into to the lion's den, right? And then, and then when the lions don't eat him, King Darius brings him out, and Darius, it says this. Then King Darius, um, Daniel, verse, chapter 6, starting verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that, that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Again, different king, same results. We see God using his people to proclaim his glories to all the nations. There's that underlying theme there. Do you see it? You see, we, we see it continue in stories like David and Goliath. And I love stories like David and Goliath because as you can see from my senior picture, I was always a little guy, right? And, and I love that story where this little guy comes out and he's facing this huge giant. And, and I love in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 where, where <laughs> Goliath and 
David, they start smack talking, like they start trash talking each other. And, and Goliath is like, you come at me with a stick? Like I'm a dog. That's how Goliath sounds in my head, right? And he's like, you come at me, what am I, a dog? I'm going to kill you. And, and I, love, I love David. This little guy is like, uh-uh, I'm going to kill you actually, right? And the, I mean, they're just like going at it. And I love the battle cry of David as he goes out, verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. We take that story and we say, if you just stay confident in God, you can face any giants, which is true, but we forget the underlying context that this story happens so that God can show himself to all peoples, to all nations. It's all throughout scripture. It's one story of God drawing people to himself. And then we, then we go into the New Testament, right? And we see in the New Testament, this, this context, this thread continues in the, in the ministry of Jesus. You look at Jesus, God who became man, who put on flesh to save his people. He was a Jew, And he came to the Jews, and he came to his people, and the Bible says that his people did not accept him. They did not receive him. And and we see that, that even though salvation was coming through the Jews and for the Jews, but it was for all people. It wasn't just this ethnocentric thing that the Jewish people had turned it into. And we see that all throughout the ministry of Jesus. Just look at a few places, like Jesus and the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. She was non-Jewish. She was a Gentile. You see Jesus clearing the temple. You see Jesus flipping over the tables and making a whip. Why was he doing that? Why was he getting so angry? I love that story, by the way. Jesus premeditatively made a whip to beat people down. Like, that's Jesus. I mean, can you imagine the Jesus that we have in so many of our pictures with the nice permed hair doing this thing with his hands, like premeditatively making a whip, like looking at people and be like... This is for you, buddy, right? right? And the reason he did that was because his passion was for the Gentiles to know him as well, and yet the Jewish people had made the only place where the Gentiles could experience worship of God, they made it into a marketplace. They devalued those people so much, and they made it just all about them, all about the Israelites, all about the Jewish people, and they missed the theme, they missed the thread, they missed the context where God tells Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you, that's true. There's a purpose to the blessing so that you will bless others. You will bless the nations. We see Jesus and the Canaanite woman. We see Jesus and the Roman centurion. All throughout Jesus' ministry, yes, it's for the the Jewish people, but it's for all peoples. We see that in, in the Great Commission, right? Jesus is crucified and he's resurrected. He's raised from the dead. And we, we look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and we see where Jesus says, go, go, make disciples. All power and authority has been given to me, therefore go, make disciples. And we look at that chapter, or we look at that section, and, and what we do so often is we say, well, it's not about the going, it's about the making. And that is absolutely true. It's, it's about making disciples, but the problem is, when we look around the world and we say, okay, where are disciples not being made? We kind of shy away from that and we say, well, but it's all about the make. And, and see, we, we have about five passages in the last 40 days where Jesus is walking on earth that are considered the Great Commission texts, just not, not just the Great Commission. 
Yes, we have Matthew 28, 18 through 20, but we look at that and we say, okay, but that's about making disciples true. But then we also have Mark 16, 15. It says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. We have Luke 24, 46 through 47, and says, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And we have Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Guys, this is the the last 40 days that Jesus physically has with his disciples. I mean, if you had 40 days left with people around you, what would you tell them? If you're like, okay, you you see the calendar and it's counting down and, and you have 40 days to be with your people, wouldn't it be like the most important things and you're reinforcing and you're saying, guys, remember this. Remember that this is what I'm about. See, not only do we see this theme, this thread going through the ministry of Jesus, but the last 40 days where Jesus is saying, guys, remember, this isn't just about you. It's for all people. So Go. Yes, make disciples in, in, in every place where your feet go, but, but in the places where disciples aren't being made, go. We see this continue in, in, in Paul's ministry. In Paul in Romans chapter 15, verse 20 through 21, Paul says this, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. You see, that and thus, you can also, can you keep that up there? That and thus, if if you look at that, that, that's also like translated therefore. So Paul is saying, therefore, I make it my ambition, I make it my, my mission to go where the gospel isn't, to go to those places where disciples aren't being made. I was always taught, I went to Bible college, I was always taught when there's a therefore, you ask, what's the therefore, therefore, right? So when you're reading through the Bible, you see a therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? See, Paul, in, earlier on in that chapter, and we won't, we won't go through the whole thing, but in, in 8, verses 8 through 12, you can look at it later, he gives what the therefore is there for. He gives a context for his, his ambition. He gives a context, he gives the why for the what, And he goes back to verses like in Isaiah and he says, this is why I'm going because there's a thread throughout scripture and we see it all throughout and and God is doing what he's doing so the Gentiles will know. He's doing just what we're doing here this morning. He's looking all throughout scripture and he's saying, guys, look, the reason I'm going is because the Bible tells me so. Because the Bible tells me that God's heart is for all peoples. Now, let me ask you a question, okay? You You know Paul's story? You know that the reason he, he's doing what he's doing is because on the road to Damascus, he was persecuting the church, and what happened on the road to Damascus? You remember? God showed up, right? And it's like these lights, like just, you know, like, like and he gets blinded, and, and Jesus is like, hey, Paul, why are you doing this? And he's like, who are you, Lord? Like, he doesn't even know who he is, but he's like, you're obviously Lord. I'm blinded, knocked off my horse. You're speaking to me. Right, and so he's he's blinded. He's given this mission to go to the Gentiles. Why doesn't in why doesn't the therefore for Paul's ambition? Why doesn't he just say, "Hey guys, I was told to go by God," right? Like God Himself showed up, told me to go. Why why isn't that Paul's therefore? 
See, the reason I believe that's not what, where Paul finds his, his reason for his ambition is because how many of us have had that happen to us? How many of us would say, oh, that totally happened to me. I was on my way to Stankowski the other day, or I was on my way to work, and God like showed up, blinded me, kicked me out of my car. Like I'm lying in the ditch, and I hear God saying, what are you doing? Like, who are you? I don't know. No worry about what I'm doing. Who are you? Right? Why, why? See, I don't think any of us in here would say, yeah, that happened to me. But all of us in here would look at the Bible and we say, we can read the Old Testament. We can read places like in the Psalms where, where we see God's heart for all peoples. And I believe what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, I'm making my ambition, but you guys have the same purpose. You guys have the same reason. You guys see the same context. So my question is, what part are you playing in this story? We see Jesus saying, look, go. We see Jesus saying, will you, will you enter into the story that God started writing way back here? Will you enter in to the story where we're at right now? Will you allow God's why for the mission to direct your what? Will you allow God to do that to you? Because then we see the conclusion of the story in, in Revelation. Guys, in Revelation 7, I love, I love where, where it talks about this, this vision that John got. Revelation 7, starting in verse 9 and 10, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, John gets, he gets a, a glimpse of what's going to happen at the end of the story. And what's happening at the end of the story is the plan that God started writing from the very beginning is fulfilled. And we see that around the throne, there are people from every tribe, tongue, language, nation, people group, ethnic group around the throne worshiping God. You guys, do you see that? The story that we are asked to be involved in is going to, to end in victory. Do you guys like being a part of something where you're like, I know that I'm going to win. Like, do you like that? I love it. Like, I'm competitive. And so I like to be on a team where it's like, dude, look at the competition. We've, we've got this. Like, I could totally be terrible, and we're still going to win. Like, that's the story that God is inviting us to be a part of. Isn't that incredible? And yet, the question is, where are we at in this, in this narrative? Where are we at in this story? Where we're at in this story right now is that there are there are over 7 billion people in the world today. 7 billion people in the world today, over that. Out of those 7 billion, there are almost 3 billion in, living in places that are considered unreached by the gospel. And the question is that, that I always think about when I hear that number, 7 billion people in the world, almost 3 billion people living in places where there are not disciples being made. My question is, why is that? Why is that the case? And I believe the reason is, is because so many of us who have the light, who have the truth, are allowing other things to dictate where our story goes. We're allowing things like possessions to dictate what we do. We, we, we live the American dream and we want the house and we want the car and we want the boat and we want all these different things and the pursuit of things and possessions dictate where our story is going. Do you guys realize one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite examples of this, you know, it, it, 
talks about in 2011, it's Halloween time, right? In 2011, Americans spent more on Halloween costumes than they did on money to reach the unreached. Americans spent more on Halloween costumes than they did on reaching those who are unreached. Halloween costumes for their dogs. Right? Not even Halloween costumes for their kids, right? I, I mean, that even would be like, what? But Halloween costumes for their dogs. You see, we allow possessions and we allow this American dream to dictate where we're going. We also allow comfort to dictate where we're going, right? Some places in the world where it's like, yeah, disciples aren't being made there, but it's hard there. Do you know what's going on? Yes, it's difficult. But we're, we are asked to be a part of a bigger story that God is writing. He started from the beginning. He's going to see through fulfillment to the end. We are going to walk in victory. And my question is, are we going to allow that, the why, the fact that God's heart throughout Scripture is so that all nations will know him, Yes, we are passionate about reaching those in Columbia. We are passionate about reaching those around our state. But we also, guys, the what, the why of missions should also dictate the what that we need to be involved in in globally reaching those who are unreached. I want to land the plane here because we're going we're gonna to talk about the, the practical applications. Every time I think about this, my mind automatically goes to um, the calling of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six. It's one of my favorite one of my favorite stories. And in Isaiah chapter six, we see Isaiah, who's an Old Testament prophet. He's a priest. He's going into the temple and he's doing the, the priestly duties throughout, throughout the temple. And all of a sudden, God shows up. Can you imagine that? You go to church and God's there. <laughs> it's like, wow, I didn't know you'd be here. It's crazy. Isaiah shows up and, and God is there and it says that his glory fills the temple and smoke fills the temple and, and all these things are happening. And it's just like sensory overload and the temple is shaking. And, and Isaiah, he's, he hits the ground and, and like the train of God, there's so much symbolism, but it's the, the physical manifestation of the presence of God breaks into Isaiah's life. And there's angels flying around, these crazy seraphs with six wings. I don't even know how that works. And I have an overactive imagination, but these, these things with six wings are flying around. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. Like they are praising God. And Isaiah, it's almost like, have you ever been, like, have you ever walked into a, a room where, like, there's a meeting, like a super formal meeting happening, and you realize you are in the wrong place? You ever done that? Where you walk in, maybe it's at a church where you walk in the wrong door, and it's like the door right here, and you walk in, and it's like, and it, there's nothing you can do, right? You just, like, back out, like, hopefully nobody saw that. Isaiah is in this place, he's like, I am undone, I am dead. Because I live, I, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He confesses his sin. He experiences God. And what happens is one of those angels comes and it takes a coal from the altar and he, it, it touches it to his lips, which is crazy. He touches it to his lips and he says, see, this is, this is atoned for your sin. This is taken away your sin. And, and in Isaiah, as he's experiencing God, as he confesses his sin, as his sin is atoned for, then he hears the voice of God. He hears God's voice and God is saying, who will we send and who will go for us? And in that, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to be a part of this story. I want to be a part of this context that, that I see. I want me, please. 
See, I think that when we experience God, truly experience God, when we understand the story, it should drive us to a place where the why makes us say, God, please send me. I want to be a part of this. See, and other people look at this, and I've heard people say, yeah, but if Isaiah knew the calling of God, if he knew how hard it was going to be, I don't think he would have said yes. And I absolutely disagree. Because as we see later on in that chapter, God's like, okay, this is what you're going to do. I'm going to have you talk to people, and they're not going to listen to you. I'm going to have you preach about me, and their hearts are going to be hardened. Your, your mission, your task is going to be extremely difficult. See, I wonder, like, think about that just for a second. If Isaiah comes in, he's like, here am I, send me. He's seen all this. God has done a work in his life, and he's changed him. He hears God, and he's saying, Who, who's going to come do this with me? Isaiah's saying me, and then as God unpacks what he's going to do, can you imagine if Isaiah would have been like, oh yeah, on second thought, um, I, I got a guy right outside. Like, I, I know a guy, right? I'll be right back. No, I don't think he would have done that at all. I mean, he didn't do that. He experienced God and he said, what else would I be a part of? Anthem Church. As we grow, as we start, as, as Stan talks about being an a, a aircraft carrier and sending people out, we want to be on mission with God. Guys, we want to be people who understand God's heart for people in Columbia, for people in Missouri, for people in America, and for people in places around the world that maybe we would see as enemies and yet God sees them as potential worshipers of him. So, so what we're going to do right now, Todd and Rachel, they're going to come up and stand. We want to explain to you the, the what of what we're doing. And this is just, this is just like first steps, okay? Like I said, we want to we let you know what's happening. We want to let you know what's going on because, because what we see throughout scripture is this. And so we want to enter into this story. We want you to enter into it with uh, so, so what we're going to do with one of the first things we're going to, we're going to enter into this thing called Operation Christmas Child. All right. And Todd, Todd has worked with them and he's, he's got some awesome stories. And so this is an opportunity for each of us, college students, families, kids. This is an opportunity for us to have an impact on people all around the world, right? It's a super simple first step into this. And so I, we've asked Todd if he could come and just share, uh, share briefly about his experience. And then we'll, we'll give you kind of the more details with Rachel. So Todd, you want to share with us a little bit? I do. Thank you. Have any of you had the opportunity to pack one of these dynamite shoeboxes? Yeah, I'm sure you have. It's an amazing program, as the, if you already know that. We are going to partner uh, with them and really... Uh, um, um, what I wanted to say was that, uh, you know, their motto is a power of a simple gift. Because what you're doing is packing the shoebox for a child, and it's a beautiful thing. But I like to call it... Um, the extravagant gift, because I worked on the other end of this. You know, I got to be a part of seeing these shoeboxes of gifts go to countries in the Middle East and North Africa. And I want to tell you, it's extravagant. You're over here packing. We're going to be packing these gifts and praying over these gifts. 
but you can't believe all that entails in getting these boxes into Iran and into Turkey and into Mongolia and all these places. And it's amazing what happens when they get over there. They take these boxes, ship them, and some, you can imagine all the red tape to get these boxes over there sometimes. And then teams are trained in every single one of these countries to receive those boxes and go out into schools, hospitals, refugee camps, all kinds of places where children are and distribute these gifts. And it's all done by Christians. It's all done by Christians in the name of Jesus. And all you have to do if you want is go to their website and you can just see story after story of how young people's lives have been changed by this box. And so I really encourage you, you know, when you're packing your box, write a note in there, you know, tell them about your family. And Rachel's going to share some more about that. Um, You know, when I was working, I I was working with them and I was uh, over the Middle East and North Africa, basically. I was helping get these boxes into all these countries. And we were putting boxes into uh, Libya way back then when Momar was still there. And I got to tell you, that was the only thing going on Christian-wise in Libya. The only thing going on. And it was big. Uh, A story I wanted to share was that uh, Zoe and I and my family lived in Jordan for a number of years. And uh, I was drilling wells. I'm a geologist. Zoe was doing nursing. We were sharing the gospel with neighbors. Never really paid attention to... Uh, this little tuberculosis hospital run by Christians out in the northeast of the country. Um, I did go out there, and they were doing great work. Fifty years of Christians out there serving and healing people in the name of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, now that area, Mafrak, Jordan, is like the center of refugees flooding in from Syria. And those boxes are going into those camps and Christians are sitting in circles on the ground, you know, with these families and with these children giving these boxes. And you can be a part of that. Yeah, so as I said, Rachel is going to give us the details. I love hearing the stories, and I'm, I'm not a detail person whatsoever. So I'm just like, yeah, give me a box, right? But we kind of need to know the details. So, so Rachel, yeah, walk us through what, what can we do? Yeah, so we have made it super easy. Actually, Samaritan's Purse, who does the shoe boxes, has made it super easy. They sent us a bunch of boxes. So all you have to do is stop by the table in the lobby and grab one of those shoe boxes, or you can go to Walmart and pick up one of those 99-cent plastic tubs. The kids love those too because then it's something that they can reuse over and over again. Or if you've got a shoe box laying at home, use that. Um, and also on the table is a list of items to pack in the shoe box. So it's really easy. It gives you some ideas. gives you ideas of what not to send, what's good to send. And go to Walmart, go to the dollar store, and fill it up. Um, the kids love getting these. They get gifts. They give them things that are usable, like clothes, but also things that are fun. Um, I mean, just kids that never get Christmas presents. It's a big deal. Um, so we made it super easy. Um, there is cost involved in getting these boxes overseas. So it's usually about $7 per box, but Anthem's going to cover that. So you don't have to worry about that. You do need to um, pick a boy or girl, pick an age group, put that label on the box and decide you know, who that's for so they know which kids to get it to. But we'll cover that. If you want to know where your box is going though, you can get online um, through Samaritan's Purse and you can pay that $7 donation online and that will actually give you a tracking number and they'll email you and let you know where your actual shoe box 
ended up, which is pretty cool too. So if you don't want to pay that seven bucks, we got it covered. But if you want to see where your box is going, go ahead and get online and do that. You got two weeks to get the boxes back to us here on Sunday, filled up, and then we will get them to the place where they actually ship them out. So um, pick them up on your way out, and we're excited to get them back from you guys. Yeah, and that really is the challenge we'd give for you guys. And so if you're part of a connection group, Already, the, those leaders are challenged to, as a connection group, be able to fill some boxes. But individuals, I know our family is going to grab a box. And so that's the thing. Fill them as a connection group, but individually would challenge you to grab some of these boxes and fill them up. Does that make sense? So in terms of applying and wanting to reach the world with the gospel, not everybody can go, but everybody can fill a shoebox. And so it's fun. I'd challenge the guys. We did this one year. And it's like, pick like uh, a small girl and like fill the box, man, it gets challenging and creative and fun. Walking through Walmart, you're like, I think a girl would like this. I don't know. Um, but again, it, it's, it's going to be extravagant for them. They're going to get to hear the gospel. It's going to be fun. So everybody can fill a shoebox. That would be the challenge as a, as a church that we would fill, you know, over everybody would fill a shoebox. Um, in terms of more than filling shoeboxes, I think it's a great step. But you can, everybody can send a shoebox. Not everybody can go overseas. But I'm telling you, we want to be a part of taking the gospel overseas. That makes sense? And so we're actually tithing like 10% of our church. We've got 10 people that are going to be going overseas this Christmas, right? When we're all sitting around drinking eggnog, you know, unwrapping gifts, we're going to have a team of 10 people from this church and another guy from the church that sent us. So 11 total going to Vietnam. And what they're going to do is they're going to spend 17 days in the city of Vietnam working with a missionary that I met when I went overseas in college 10 years ago. Um, this guy is awesome. I'm not going to share his name from the stage, but um, he's incredible. He is now in Vietnam. When this missionary was in China, okay, we're working hard to plant one church here in Columbia. When he was in China, within 10 years, he's seen over 300 churches get started. I mean, the guy is awesome. Uh, and so we want to partner with him in Vietnam. I think, uh, Austin, how many college students are in this city that we're going to? I'm putting you on the spot. Isn't it like a million college students? Um, and the reason I say that is because their English is going to be good. And so these guys are going to, Austin and Lauren, and there's a whole crew, we'll commission them before we go. But I say all that, we're sending a college team this year because a lot of you guys didn't know we were doing it, and you, uh, if you're a community person, you got to save up your vacation. But here's your forewarning. We're serious about wanting to take the gospel to Columbia, to Missouri, and beyond, that I'm telling you in advance, next year, we will almost guaranteed be doing this trip yet again, and we want to put community people on that trip. So it'll be college students this year, um, but Typically, college students will send you over the summer for nine weeks to these countries where we have missionaries that are working to really establish churches. But community, we want to make that available to you. And so I tell you that in advance so you can begin to save your vacation days for next year. And community, I would love to be a part of that trip and help lead us over there and be about this. Does that make sense? So I